Hey, St. Paul, welcome to episode nine of our study on the Holy Spirit. Specifically, we center this study around the sustaining and maintaining power of the Holy Spirit and its relevance of that power and that sustaining and maintaining power in our lives today. Emily, thank you again. Wow, what a great accomplishment for us to kind of get together, especially in these days of uh, virus and upheaval. And we still managed to get together. Uh, Nine times. I know. Are Nine you, times. Are you sick of me yet? Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> that kind of makes me feel like you might be eventually. Really? Come on, give me a break. I should ask if you're sick of me. Absolutely not. You have such a joyous voice and laughter, and your insight of the scriptures is second to none. And oh I really gosh, appreciate that it. That is too high of praise, that is for sure. <laughs> well, don't deny it, live into it. Only through the Lord. Over the last... Although, wait a minute. Yes. I said Ezekiel twice last week, and I have worried about it because I was like, oh my gosh, these poor people are going through Ezekiel saying, what is she talking about? But in my mind, I was saying Elijah. So I just want y'all to know that I realized that I made that mistake, and I wanted to correct myself. And I have given John the authority and permission to say, Emily... That's wrong <laughs> from here on out. <laughs> I even tried to prompt you. I said, don't you remember being at Mount Carmel? <laughs> and I nodded my head, yes. <laughs> I thought in my mind I was saying Elijah, not Ezekiel. So there's that. I did want to apologize. Okay, noted. Thank you. Here we are again uh, getting together, and I love getting together and, and talking about the Holy Spirit, especially because it is a subject, I think, that many Christians have either intentionally ignored or out of um, habit have chosen not to recognize. And I, I've, I've felt that this is a necessary reminder of Scripture, of what God is doing in our midst, and um, that the Holy Spirit really continues that conversation of of his promise to to speak to his people he spoke through the prophets and through moses and the law in the old testament he spoke through jesus and now that continuation that continuity is still happening today and i got to tell you emily that when i do turn my attention to what the holy spirit is doing in around through me and other people, I've come to the conclusion that the Holy Spirit has not come to fool around. <laughs> no, he's serious. I mean, he means business. Um, and I was talking this morning to uh, one of my gurus, um, and I have lots, but my friend Deborah was saying, you know, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, the language that's used around it is it's confusing. It really kind of confuses people. And um, she pointed out, and this really made me think this morning, she said, you know, Paul and Peter and the other apostles that came, you know, right here as we're we're seeing and digging into Acts, these people thought that Jesus was coming quickly. (laughs) Oh, yeah, we're bold. We have this power. Sure, let's sell all of our possessions and lump them in together and take care of each other. Yeah, because it won't be long. It won't be long before Jesus comes back again. 
And that really kind of made me pause this morning to think about what a statement Mm -hmm. that is to make. Yeah, they they thought that he could become, surely he must be coming back soon, at least within their lifetime. Um, Yet here we are still waiting. And what that says about us and our faith and the work that they started here in Acts, that work that they started, that they went out, even if they thought that it was for just a little while, but they still did it wholeheartedly and tried to win as many people to Christ as they could and, and to, you know, tell them the good news, get that gospel out there, and then what work it did that it has carried on to us. And then here we are, you know, sitting here thinking, well, when is Jesus going to come back? Surely it must be soon. Surely it must be soon. Um, but yeah, the Holy Spirit is here still, and he's not messing around. It's interesting that, you know, we've talked about at the end of Acts 1, where it talks about them all in one's place, and they were praying and praising, and later on through Acts, you start to see them distributing and caring for those around them, that there is an unmistakable, undeniable change in people's lives, Um because of the Holy Spirit filling them. And and I guess you could say it's because the individual Christians or group of Christians, they have embraced this promise. They have embraced yeah. what God is doing. And, um, and there's, I mean, you think of the disciples, the change before and after. We've talked about that with Peter being this fumbling, bumbling idiot to one who is standing up among the people and preaches on the day that 3,000 people are added to the church that day. And um, there's this change that happened, certainly through the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, the power that Jesus promised in Acts 1.8. But when Jesus was walking with these disciples, they thought he might be the Messiah, yeah. They thought he might be, you know, the one who God had sent. Sometimes they thought more of that than others, but it was all kind of based on their own ability to think about and think through and evaluate. Now, after the resurrection and after the Holy Spirit came, there was like no doubt. Right. There's no doubt that that they knew instantly. Um, they sensed it before. But didn't know for sure, but they knew now. And this, this kind of just emphasizes that the Holy Spirit had not come, has not come into this world to fool around. And that the very presence of the Holy Spirit confirms that God has not forsaken our lost world. No. That he's still working in our midst. Thank goodness. <laughs> no, I'm right there with you. Is there, is there more a time than we need him than now? <laughs> oh my well, goodness! Well, but I guess that, but I guess that it's been that way throughout history. Yeah, uh, you know, through all the periods of times, you know, where horrible things have occurred, where people have said, "Oh, I mean, things couldn't get any worse than it is now." And um, now, you know, I, I just it, it's all cyclical. Everything kind of comes back around because um, if you I mean, just go read some of those Old Testament books and see, and you know, in Leviticus and, and those things and see what he's saying, don't do that. 
do not do that, Moses. Tell them I said not to do that. Um, <laughs> it just makes you wonder, why did God have to say that? Yeah. <laughs> why did we have to write this down? Surely this shouldn't be something that we should have to discuss. Yeah, it's really not that difficult. <laughs> yeah, no. Right? <laughs> right. I mean, just some of the things that that, that are recorded in the Bible. Um, so but it's the idea, all... The idea is, is that, that God is... is um, we're, our blinders are on right now that we know that, that God is needed today, yes. that the Holy Spirit power, and, and we don't want to elevate ourselves above other times of history, but it's still the same that God still shows up. Yes. And there's always an urgency. Oh, have we all forgotten? I mean, we could just stop right there on the urgency. <laughs> yeah. We, we, I, I've read, um, several books by Eugene Peterson and one of his books, I believe, I, I don't even want to give the name of it, but one, because I can't remember and I'll probably say it incorrectly, um, the wrong one. But one of the things that he, uh, writes about is that where Christians find themselves, many Christians find themselves is, uh, are in places where their Christianity is almost ignored or not lived into in the days between Sundays. And yeah. so the Monday through Saturday is the biggest challenge for Christians to live into their faith, yeah. to live into their faith every single day, not just on Sundays, but just as, and you don't have to say just Sundays, where those moments where it's, you know, it's invited or it's expected. And I think that's what the Holy Spirit does. It, it really gives us this, this takes us by the shoulders a little bit, kind of points us in the right direction and just kind of gives us a nudge. But not only so that we go in that direction thinking that we're going it alone, but the Holy Spirit has already been where we're going. Yeah. And, 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 and that of itself is just so reassuring. It really is. And I, you know, let me talk about Carlos Whitaker um, one more time. Um, well, it won't be the last time. Um, I've just finished reading his book this weekend, Interwild. And it, he had this statement that said, you are not the exception to the promises of Scripture. All the healing um, you read about, that's for you. And so we're not the exception to those things when we read about the promise of the Holy Spirit, when we read about the boldness that these apostles spoke with and the confidence that they carried with themselves and, and how sure they were of what they were doing. We're not the exception to the rule. And we're also not the exception to the forgiveness and the um, redeeming love that Jesus has for us. Um, Because even if in times where things are awful, we can't say, ah, it's never been this bad before. Uh, No one is as bad as I am. Well, yeah, chances are. Yeah, they are. (laughs) And yes, it has. So that just realizing that there are, we're not the exception, that um, the Holy Spirit is is there and is waiting for us, is mm-hmm. ready for us, is waiting for us to have that awakening and that it, he's ready to ignite um, his fire within us to give us all those things that we read about. So what holds us back? What holds us back from living into that wildness of the ride of God's glory, sovereignty, uh, the power of the whole, what holds us back, do you think? I think fear and doubt do most definitely, but 
but I also think that we question ourselves like, oh, that's not it. That's not, I, I don't know. That, no, that, that wasn't the Lord speaking. That was just me. I mean, I think we just think that the Lord doesn't talk. <laughs> I think you're talking from experience because <laughs> being in those places where you put that the God, that, that the Holy Spirit puts on your heart to tell somebody something. Yeah. And yeah. Wink, wink. <laughs> we'll just leave it there. That's a conversation we had before our uh, before recording that will never make it to air, and that's fine. <laughs> I, I think that when it comes to um, holding us back, yeah, doubt, fear, um, and I think we map out too much of what might take place that yeah. really scares us. Um, that okay, if I, if God is telling me to talk to this person, then um, what if they don't like it? What if they shun me? What if they, what if this, what if they tell somebody else? And what if those people put it on Facebook? And so our mind goes wild thinking about all the different things. Right. And I, I love the life of Joshua because Joshua, from the very beginning to the very end, it was all about living into obedience to the word of God, right. meditate on it and stuff like that. And what Joshua is celebrated more than anything. I mean, he was a great uh, military uh, leader and all this kind of stuff. But what I celebrate Joshua more is that in quiet compliance and obedience, he took one step after the next, after another, after another, and just took these steps of obedience. Yes. Over and over and over again. Well, and he was obedient. I love Joshua. He was obedient even knowing that he was going to come into some trouble. He knew that the Israelites were going to say, you know what? We don't want to do that. <laughs> he knew that they were going to, um, that they would be disobedient and that they wouldn't follow, and uh, you know, the rules and the plan that he was laying out. And he did it anyway. Absolutely. I mean, you have his obedience as being one of the 12 spies, he and Caleb coming back and being the only two saying, yes, it's going to be difficult, but God is with us. Yes. And then on the shores after Moses has died and he's on the shores of uh, the the promised land, I mean, 500 years had passed since Abraham in in Genesis, yeah, the book of Abraham. (laughs) In Genesis chapter 12, 500 years have passed since that promise was made Yeah, that now was on the cusp that they were actually going into. How many times had they heard up to that point right. into the land? And I will bring you to the land. I will bring you to the land I will, that I've, I will give you. And, and now they were about to do it. And all the fear that could have happened. Yeah. All the things that could have stepped in the way. And... I think what the Holy Spirit invites us to do is take those, or what what the uh, Holy Spirit invites us to do is to take those steps of quiet, sometimes splashy <laughs> <laughs> steps of obedience, yeah, and trust, and just obey. Right, and that's not easy. <laughs> it isn't, <laughs> but as we see in the life of Peter. In the life of the early church, if at the end of our lives we look back and say, boy, I wish I would have done something different. I wish I would have obeyed. Just imagine what would have been different, what I could have been used for. 
I think the beautiful thing that God allows us to share into is that we get to participate. We get to be his hands and his feet. We get to be the proclamation of his kingdom that it's at hand. That's now and not yet. And to proclaim this forgiveness that has already been decided in heaven, which becomes good news. We get to, we get to participate. Yeah. And we probably will not even remember the reasons why we didn't. Right. But I'll encourage those who are listening, myself, Emily also, that just maybe over the next five days, maybe if we just write this down and we put it beside our beds or in a place that we pray or places that we study or places that we will come uh, pass often and just, just mark on that card today. I will quietly obey. Boy, John, that's not an easy task that you've given us. <laughs> Just five days. And I know. One day is hard. <laughs> but see, there's our minds going all those ways. Boy, if I do this. It's like um, when I first came to St. Paul, I, had, I weighed 287 pounds. And um, I've been here 10 years and I got down to 197 and then I stopped my diet and I thought, yeah, so I fluctuate around 225 or whatever, but I'm not I'm, telling you how much I weigh, <laughs> just so you know. <laughs> and, and I remember the day I decided to start my diet, the first place my mind was going to is, oh, I'm going to have to do this forever. <laughs> I'm never going to have bluebell ice cream again. I'm never going to, I mean, do you see all the fear that comes alongside yeah. of, I mean, I'm doing a diet right now that I told somebody I'm going to have to do this till Jesus comes back. (laughs) I don't want to scare anybody, but let's not liken our Christian walk and our faith in God to our ability to keep a diet. (laughs) Amen. Amen. I think that there is some truth to that. (laughs) There sure is. There sure is. It is easier to be a, a follower of Jesus than to follow a diet. That's for sure. That, and, did somebody put that on a bumper sticker, would you? <laughs> <laughs> Just credit me. <laughs> there you go. So here we are in uh, after Pentecost, and uh, Peter goes outside, and, and he's People are like, okay, what was that? Yeah. Those guys up there, those people, they must have just, I mean, and they were accused of, I mean, they had a party. They, they're they yeah. drunk and all this uh, this kind of stuff. And, and, and then Peter is about to speak to the people at nine in the morning. That's why we have church at nine. I'm just teasing. <laughs> nine in, early in the morning. And, um, and, uh, and don't forget that Luke, the Gospel of Luke and Acts, they were both they're they're uh, uh, two volume uh, two books of the same volume, okay? Or I mean, two books that coincide. You know what? I've probably no, but that's interesting. I've ne- so it was probably one book. Yeah. So it was probably one book, and so somebody, whoever decides how the Bible is put together, which is above my pay grade to know, um, and I haven't been to the, all the schooling that you have, so you probably know the answer, but. That somebody decided to end it, throw John in there, and then pick back up with Acts. I mean, that's... Yeah, that's... I mean, that's a... 
a different story when it comes around the Synoptic Gospels, John and Acts. But Luke, the Gospel, and Acts, um, there were two letters to this group or this person uh, named Theophilus. And, um, and Luke ends with Jesus telling his disciples in Luke 24, 49, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. Now, you don't have to go too far to understand what that promise was. John tells us what that promise was in John 14, 26. Um, it's the Holy Spirit. It's, it's that continuation of the speaking of God, that the means of God speaking. And then Jesus says to his disciples, but stay in the city until you are, and here's the beautiful word, clothed with power from on high and Peter and the disciples uh, and the people that were uh, in the upper room that they are examples of people who are now clothed with power on high and I love this word in the Greek it's in duo it's a very transitive word it is a, a word the etymology of that word is the prefix in means in and duo means to sink or to to get into and most of the times it's centered around garments putting on clothes putting on robes and um, uh, it's centered around this this outer covering of um, uh, of in some way or in some sorts but there are some metaphysical or uh, metaphysical let me tell you metaphorical uh, and figurative language that is also used when it comes to in duo in fact, in Ephesians 4 and in Colossians 3, th this word is used, put on Christ, clothe yourself, get into. Now put this word in Luke, at the end of Luke, and we see that Jesus is going to come and give that great commission in, uh, in Acts 1.8, and then in Acts 2, they're in this one place, and the wind rushes and fills everywhere, and then the Holy Spirit fills them. And now they are the the wind around them is clothing them. It's it, it, they can't escape, and then they are filled with the Holy Spirit, and now they have this power. There is it's like night and day change in these people. And Peter's sermon is one of those examples of this night and day change. Yeah, I mean, forget about being uh, watching the the DVD of this. I mean, I'd love Hollywood to make a, a film of. <laughs> of Pentecost and give us all the graphics and, and special effects. But in God's book, take a moment to read that and imagine in your mind that God has given you what is happening here as a spectator and what the implications might mean for us as Christians today. Wow. I, wow. The change, that transformation. Yes, it is. It is. Um, and this in duo uh, is in our English language. It's a very old English word in do in duo. Uh, that in do we get our word endurable, endurance, endure. Um, and so this power that we receive, that's provided, that we are endowed with, now puts us in places and gives us where we can live into um, what the Holy Spirit can do through us, not what we do for the Holy Spirit. It's, wow. a, sub it's a submission to what the Holy Spirit wants to do through wow. us. Um, 
I have a question, and you, you may not be able to know right now, but um, so when we, t- in, in Ephesians, when you're talking about putting on the armor of God. Same word as in Same duo. Word? It is. So it's in wow. Ephesians 4, where it talks about putting on Christ. At Colossians 3, it talks about putting on Christ. But the uh, armor of God, put on. It is the same Greek word in duo. Now there are other, there are other words to put on clothes that are used other times and other places, uh, and and those don't have those are more centered around the idea of wrapping yourself. Okay, right. But this is more of let them hang on you. Let you get into this. Yeah, you, you use you, this. Yeah, you use this. It's that breastplate and that belt yes. and that sword and those shoes. Yeah, yeah. And I, I I hate to I hate getting into swimming pools because <laughs> I just don't like cold water, and to make it worse, I get in really slow. Me too. Lee, slowly. Yeah. Me too. And Jim makes so much fun of me. Everybody does. Makes don't. fun of you. <laughs> I mean, everybody makes fun of me too. <laughs> Boy, that oh, came I out just wrong. <laughs> that took me off guard. <laughs> Oh, that's wonderful. But that's, that's, I I think what I find myself doing many times is I'm kind of easing into this flood. I'm kind of easing into this power. What would it be like if we had the courage and the stamina to be like those other people that just jump in Mm. because they tell you, oh, it's only going to be weird for a second. Yeah. Yeah, no. And I want to take them and say... I really don't want to get my head wet, so that's the whole issue. But you still go in slowly, and I I go in slowly, too. We got to see what what it's about before we jump in. It is. It is. That is the truth. Luke shares in Acts um, this, uh, this sermon of Peter, and certainly Peter is not going in slowly. He no. comes out. Probably some folks are saying, well, that, I, knew, I knew a guy. This must be a doppelganger of Peter because this is not the Peter I knew. Yeah. This is not to be, this is not the Peter, you know, that I bought fish from many, many years ago. Even his comrades, his other disciple companions were thinking the same thing. Holy moly. Who's that guy? <laughs> but what this, happened to Peter? <laughs> so you have Peter and, and he gets, and he explains. And before we get into a, a little bit of, of this, this sermon that he does, which you mentioned, what did C.S. Lewis say last, uh, you were reading? That it was the first um, Christian sermon. It's the first Christian sermon. Yeah. The first, first sermon. And there's some significant, but what's interesting is if we could take a 30,000 foot view of Acts for just a moment, Acts 2 gives this first sermon that Peter preached. Acts 28 gives us the last sermon that Paul preached. And the end of Acts 28, Paul is finding himself in Rome and he's awaiting his trial and And he has a couple meetings with some religious leaders there. It's the second meeting that he actually has a sermon. And he preaches to them um, a a gospel message. And what is absolutely phenomenal 
is that the gospel that Paul preached in Acts 28 is the same gospel Peter preached in Acts 2. It wasn't different because it was preached by someone different. It wasn't different because it was at a different place. It wasn't different because it was to a different group. It was the same gospel, that salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. And it was the gospel then, and it's the gospel now. I remember having a a professor once share with us a very convicting um, phrase or story, if you will, but it was centered around the idea is of the gospel being preached should be the same no matter where you are located. I mean, if I'm in Columbus, Georgia, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Missouri, whether I'm in Paris or Rome or South Africa, it is the same gospel. Nothing is added. Nothing is subtracted. And so it kind of gave me moments of reflection that I still remember today is as I prepare to preach, I always ask myself, is this the same, is this a sermon that I could preach someplace else? Now, I might not use the same, same illustration, but is the basic message, the theme, the same to a different group of people, different place, a different time? And I love that continuity, that it is the same. The results of preaching the gospel are the same too. Some reject it, some accept it. But God's plan for the gospel, um, uh, the, God's plan was not to be and would not be sidetracked. Not at all. Not with divisions and arguments and disagreements about what happens when and the order of things and how you run your service. and when Whether you, it's Ezekiel or Elijah. That's right. <laughs> no matter what, whether you're going to get dunked or just sprinkled or when you take your tithe or, you know, how you do the, how you do communion or as some people call it, Lord's Supper, how you do those things. Um, it's a pretty good measuring stick to be able to just say, well, is it about Jesus? Is it about no salvation is found and no other name under the sun all right then we're all on the same team and i think it's important to realize that it's only by god's grace that this is available right it is i love i'm a big fan of martin luther um in his writings and and i uh he was a very uh he was driven on this uh, this idea that it's it's grace, it's grace, it's grace. Um, where before the Reformation, it was all centered around, around the idea of works and works and works, and right. he let that pendulum flood. You know, he brought that pendulum way onto the other side. And 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 I think there's a healthy tension somewhere in the middle. Yeah. But but you know to to live into the idea that in Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says, for it is by grace that you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own works, but a gift of God, lest any person should should uh, boast. If Romans 5, 1 says the exact same thing. But the tension of having also that idea of, okay, James says, faith without works is dead. And so we have to live with that. And so it, it, even with the faith without works is dead, 
that God has given us this Holy Spirit to in to envelop us, that we can grasp it in that we can clothe ourselves in that begins to give us this this power to do those things. Right. Right. Because if we're Yeah. If if you're all in, if you've been transformed, if you've put your faith in Jesus, if you've repent, repented and, and gotten, you know, gotten on that path with him in obedience and, and speaking boldly for him, of course you're going to have works. You can't really have one without the other. But the good thing is without it, your salvation and your redemption is not hang in the balance of what works you do. That's right. That's right. I, uh, I'm very mindful of those moments that I get, I have the opportunity to be with folks at end of life situations. And, um, and a lot of the conversations center around, I hope I did enough. I hope I did enough. Now, uh, if we just stop for a second and just imagine the heaviness of a heart that has that that expresses those words i hope i've done enough i hope i'm good enough to make it to heaven i want to i want to dispel that that anxiety and that weight by saying it's not about what you do it's about what god has already done right and then everything that comes after that in our timeline, that flag in our sand, is framed around this idea of a loving response to what God has done. Right. Because all of us are not good enough and won't do enough. Never. It doesn't say, the scripture doesn't say it's Jesus' death on the cross, the gift of God, plus you going to church. Right. No, we go to church because it's a loving response of what God is doing. And now, because of Pentecost, taking those steps towards obedience, we start to be empowered. What I mean is we might still muster up the courage to say something, but it's what we say that actually has an effect on other people. Right. It. it, it Peter could not have converted 3,000 people that day without the Holy Spirit. Right. That's the power. Right. That, that, yeah. The outcome of what God is doing. Right. And we get to participate in that. Yeah. I love at the end of the message. I mean, Peter, you talk about <laughs> the Lord didn't come to mess around. Peter didn't go out the <laughs> go out to to speak to those people to mess around either he wasn't playing no he wasn't <laughs> and he was so smart in how he approached it by saying you know quoting the scriptures about saying things that they already knew he brought out joel he brought out david and then he comes and he says you know that guy y'all y'all all voted to crucify yeah that was him that was the messiah that was the savior you know you got to do that he then he came in with that after he'd lured them in with the things that they were comfortable with but it says at the end and i just i just love it i, I just love it and every translation that i read 
said it the exact same way. In verse 37, it says, When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And that cut to the heart, that wasn't the words of Peter that cut them. This is the power of the Holy Spirit. That was the Holy Spirit coming in through those words and doing a work on their heart and changing it. Um, I read, you know, I wasn't real familiar with the book of Joel. (laughs) I don't know if there are people out there that are. Hey, about 45 minutes ago, I could not even find it in my Bible. (laughs) It's sneaky back there. I mean, it's only a few pages and it's easy to just flip right past it. Um, But I read it. You know, getting ready for this, I read the whole book. And, y'all, it doesn't take long. Just, it's interesting. It's it's a good little book. But I was so struck by, and that Peter doesn't even use this verse, but it goes so perfectly with this being cut to the heart to me. Um, it says uh, in Joel 2, chap, uh, chapter 2, verse 12 and 13, it says, Now, therefore, says the Lord, turn to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning. So rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness, and he relents from doing harm. And then verse 14 says, who knows if he will return and relent and leave a blessing behind him, a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God. That cut to the heart and tearing your heart. Um, We see a lot in the Old Testament and even some in the New Testament a little bit when they were mourning that they would tear their clothes Mm -hmm. and... Um, put on sackcloth, heap ashes on their head. But that outward tearing was a way to know, for everyone to know that they were in mourning, that they had had this, this event that had happened. And Joel is telling them, don't tear your clothes, tear your heart. By tearing that inwardly, by having this inward change, by looking inward and tearing that part and being cut to the heart by the Holy Spirit is where you're going to get that change and how you're going to move into this obedience and this boldness and this confidence by allowing that change to happen. Because, I mean, Jesus says, yeah, faith in me is the key, but the second step is repentance. And so you got to get that, you got to get it, because in further in Acts, it talks about, well, which, which baptism do you have? Yeah, and, when they're in Ephesus <laughs> with uh, Apollos. Yeah, and they're like, what are you talking about? And then Paul asks them later, what, what, what baptism y'all got? And yeah. they're like, what, sprinkled or immersed? I don't know what you mean. <laughs> you know, is it that the way that John says, or is it what Jesus says? Because Jesus says you have to have faith in me and that repentance. Whereas John was like, eh, it's just the repenting part. You just got to get right with the Lord. Look, that is so critical. I think it's easy, at least on the surface, to do the first step. Right. Yeah. Of course. That's the easy part. (laughs) Yeah, there's Jesus. I believe you. I got you. But repent. Mm Mm-hmm. Now, uh, I've often wondered why the heart. It is the center of our aspirations, our dreams, our wishes, our desires. And that's what God wants. He wants Mm -hmm. us 
like Jesus tells his disciples, deny yourself. Pick up your cross daily and follow me. But that denial of self Mm -hmm. sometimes will be successful. Many times will not be successful. But God is still right there with us. God is still right there with his Holy Spirit showing that he has not forsaken us. Deny. We talked about my diet earlier. (laughs) I think of denying was denying myself is like after a meal and someone offers dessert and you really want it. But you say, not right now. Yeah. No, thank you. And saying no to that desire. We're so prone to let our desires control us. Right. It just, that just reminded me of Jesus when he tells. Good reminder. Yeah. When he tells them, this is what's going to happen. I'm going to be, I'm going to die. I'm going to be, you know, mocked and ridiculed. It's, I'm leaving you. And Peter says, no, no, Lord, no, that's not going to happen. We don't want that to happen. No. And Jesus looks at him and says, get behind me, Satan. Not that he didn't love Peter, not that he didn't want Peter anywhere around him, and not that he probably didn't appreciate the sentiment of Peter saying, no, I don't want you to go. I want to be with you. I want to keep doing what we're doing. This is great. I won't let that happen. Yeah, and I'm going to protect you and keep you. Jesus loved Peter, obviously, and probably enjoyed his company because I bet he was a hoot to be around. (laughs) He was probably real entertaining. But... For him to say, uh-uh, no, no, thank you. I don't want that dessert. <laughs> yes. <but laughs> I'm full. The no, thank very, you. Here's, here's a picture, though, in that same story of God's forgiveness and acceptance and how God really sees us is in the next breath, or at least a few breaths later, Jesus says to Peter, and on you, my rock, I will build my church. Yeah. So let's not get discouraged. No. Let us be encouraged. William Carey sometimes often referred to as the father of mission work or missionaries was uh, had a sermon that was um, uh, entitled expect great things attempt great things and later on in his writings um, he added this expect great things from god and then attempt great things for god And I think that is a great motto for us as we live into our futures unknown, that we would be like Joshua, taking one step after another in quiet obedience to what God is doing. As we embrace that work of the Holy Spirit inside of us that will empower what we do for kingdom purposes and that we expect great things from God, have a big mind embracing all that God can do, and then attempt great things for God. Well, I think that is in of itself a great message for all of us. Uh, We will return to this sermon that Peter um, uh, preached 
in the coming weeks. But we have a special announcement for next week. Uh, Next week's podcast, we have a special guest that will be joining us remotely. Emily, tell us who it is. Y'all, I emailed Carlos Whitaker, and he is going to talk with us next week. I am so excited. Um, If you can look him up, he is uh, quite the personality to watch. Um, And he has three books out. I have just read uh, Inner Wild at this point. I hope to have finished at least another one by the time he gets on next week. But he is um, very encouraging and um, loves the Lord. Wow, I'm so excited, and it's going to be a treat for, I, I don't know if it'll be a treat for y'all, but it will for sure be one for me. <laughs> uh, we're going to, we're going to, it's going to be a treat for us too, and we, we are excited about uh, Carlos uh, being with us. We'll probably take a, um, uh, a p- press pause where we are, uh, probably explore a couple different uh, topics uh, centered around Holy Spirit and um, the sustaining and maintaining work that God is doing for us today in our lives today and the significance of that uh, in our conversation next week with Carlos. Thank you, Emily, for expecting great things That's and right. attempting Just great things. send out that email. <laughs> and we're really glad that you joined us today, too. Our prayer is that God will continue to reveal himself in a very special and loving way to you today. Godspeed and God bless.